Hello, my name is Leslie Goodburn. I'm a Pancreatic Cancer UK supporter, and you're here today listening to some podcasts that we're doing. The reason that we're doing the podcast is because there are two small words, pancreatic cancer, two small words that actually have a massive impact on people, that cause devastation, that create psychological, emotional and physical pain. Before 2014, I didn't really know a great deal about pancreatic cancer. I knew that it was one of the cancers that had a poor survival rate, but that was probably all I knew. In 2014, my husband Seth was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. We were thrust into a world of palliative and end-of-life care, and unfortunately, 33 days after diagnosis, Seth died from pancreatic cancer. Seth didn't really stand a chance, couldn't get treatment because actually the disease was diagnosed at such a late stage that there wasn't the possibility to have any other outcome than Seth was going to die. So after Seth died, spent a lot of time thinking about how to support Pancreatic Cancer UK to raise awareness of the disease, of the signs and symptoms, to raise money. So I've spent the last four years working with various different organisations, getting GPs trained, raising funds through doing things with Emma Bridgewater Pottery, doing charity balls, um, standing in the, in the street during Awareness Month and giving out leaflets to raise awareness. Um, Last year we did some work around patient stories, this year we're doing the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts. The podcasts are designed to give everyone who listens to them an idea about what the pancreas does, why it's important, what its function is, what happens when cancer forms, what the signs and symptoms of the disease are, how people can recognise those, recognise those signs and symptoms so that they can go to the GP and hopefully get diagnosed early enough for treatment to be an option. We're going to talk to some of the UK's leading clinicians, nurses, allied health professionals, experts in various different fields, and most importantly, we're going to talk to some patients and families who've experienced the disease. So over the course of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, which is November, the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts will be broadcast and it'll give you all an opportunity to understand the disease much better, to think about how you can support raising awareness going forward and to spread the word about pancreatic cancer and hopefully make sure that in the future many more people are diagnosed earlier and people are given the chance for treatment, the chance that Seth never had. I'm Charlotte Foster, uh, podcaster and broadcast journalist, and welcome to this episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed all the podcasts so far. It is today the 30th of November. That's the last day of November, if you can remember the rhyme. 30 days have September, April, June and November. All the rest have 31, except for February alone, which is 28, except each leap year, it has 29. I think I might have made up the last bit. Anyway, 30 days in November. So today is the last episode for this month. Stay tuned is all I'm going to say. Don't cancel your subscription at any point. In this episode, we are going straight to the top. We're talking to Diana Jupp. She is the Chief Executive of Pancreatic Cancer UK and has been telling me all about what she does and what she sees her role as. 
Pancreatic Cancer UK has been um, around for just over 10 years and um, we approach uh, pancreatic cancer on all fronts. So we are looking to uh, research, we provide support and information and we also campaign. So we sort of, our strap line is really that we are taking on pancreatic cancer on all fronts. And how are things going in that sense then? Well, um, I think uh, we're doing really well I think it's a hard area for us all to sort of be trying to make the change in pancreatic cancer is tough really tough to um to see change happening um and for a charity and a sort of a sector that's really quite young relatively compared to all the other cancers where the charities have been around for 50 plus years actually we're beginning to see some sort of really substantial change coming around and more people joining our cause i think for us our vision for the charity is to is really bold is to transform the future for everyone affected by pancreatic cancer and um we're not going to let go of that we need that to be our vision we need to be able to um, really transform everything that we're working in um, both in the research side in the support side and most definitely in the campaign and awareness side how do you think perceptions of the disease have changed over the last year or so um well so i've only been the chief exec for a year yesterday pancreatic cancer awareness day was my one year anniversary so um it was quite significant really and I think even in the last year just being here and seeing what was happening before it feels it certainly feels like there's a momentum happening now you can see the difference we've got a, a much more higher public awareness and engagement happening and um, and with awareness comes uh, people hopefully getting a slightly earlier diagnosis people demanding faster treatments for for themselves we are getting uh, uh, quite a few supporters coming on board who want to support the charity that hadn't heard of us before hadn't heard about the work that's being done so in the last year it feels as if we're reaching more and as a result we're able to do more because as more people get involved more funding comes through more awareness comes through and we can start to really do more with the funding and the and the support that we get. Now, you've got a background working with some other types of, of cancers. Um, what is different working with, well, working with pancreatic cancer compared to those other cancers, do you think? Um, the biggest difference is the speed of the cancer. Um, and um, so I was writing about this just recently in a blog on LinkedIn, just that I thought I was really prepared to work in and felt I was very experienced having worked for sort of 25 years in cancer and in the charity sector. Um, but it is remarkably different in that one in four people are, um, don't live longer than a, year, uh, a month after being diagnosed and three in four people won't survive longer than a year. So those sort of statistics are really stark. Um, and working in this uh, field makes you really understand the urgency that we're dealing with and what we're, we're working in amongst is, is a very different type of experience, both for patients who are being diagnosed and for their families and their loved ones around them, that this is a fast and deadly and brutal disease that people are being you know being diagnosed with and being treated for and um what the difference that happens so compared to breast cancer 
and and I worked in breast cancer for 19 years so really saw the progression and the change in breast cancer both in an awareness sense when I started there people weren't funding it or supporting it and that was part of what we were trying to do was to bring it into the public eye and then to get the funding and the support which we achieved and as a result of that we watched breast cancer go from many women that I was working with would live two to five years at the most um, but you know there was lots of women I knew who um, died from breast cancer by the time I left there the majority of people were living long long lives and were dying from many other different things and getting into their old age it wasn't breast cancer you know we it was a significant transformation but um that's what we need to be able to try and see here with pancreatic cancer the difference that we now have here is that we haven't got all the survivors so working as a chief exec of a charity where um, actually people the people who would normally be there, our army of su supporters, celebrating one year in, celebrating two years, doing this, doing that, we haven't got them because you know too many people die from pancreatic cancer. So it's the that's the shift and that's the sort of the challenge that we have to represent the families and the loved ones who've been bereaved through pancreatic cancer and to really sort of try to be the voice of everyone being diagnosed and and um, sadly that too many people who are dying from it. So yeah, it's a very different um, arena and area to work in, in that sense. Looking then to the future, what do you think is going to be making the difference? Is it going to be support, campaigning, research, or is it bit of all of them I think um, to be honest it's all of them and they all uh, are working they're all very important they all are, are slightly codependent on each other I think the research funding research that ultimately is that will make the biggest difference but that's for the long term so we have to persistently um, fund new and innovative treatment going forward, um, research into treatment. So looking at particularly how do we improve early diagnosis? How do we get people diagnosed early and straight in? Because that will be the biggest breakthrough if we can find a way to diagnose early. Following on from that, once someone's diagnosed, we need new and better treatments that will really uh, improve their outcome so that we're not only looking at surgery, but that we, there's other treatments that we can do as well that will improve people's um, survival and prognosis. So, but those are long term. That's us investing. We are so behind the rest of the um, cancers. We're 45, 40 years behind in investing in research. So we've got a lot to catch up. So that's that's like a huge task ahead of us and is a, and a, and is a major focus for the charity. Um, I think running alongside that, what we can do today to really transform people's lives is around transforming care, how we actually um, can make a difference in people being treated today. So we've got a campaign out at the moment which is Demand Faster Treatment and that can whilst we wait for the breakthroughs in how to diagnose and treat and new treatments, we can change people's lives and outcomes right now by getting people immediately, once someone's diagnosed, getting people immediately into treatment, whether that's if they can have a Whipples and have the surgery, 
then that's potentially extending their lives by a year, potentially life-saving, or if someone isn't eligible for surgery, getting them into fast-tracking into chemotherapy, treatment for jaundice, actually getting the treatments there to them immediately, extending lives and giving quality of life. I think one of the learnings that I can take as well from in breast cancer it wasn't all about the big breakthroughs. It's about the small little changes, the tweaks that we can do that all add up to starting to give an extension of life by a year or a few months, and that builds up. And we mustn't sort of just think that we've only got to go for the big breakthroughs. It's all the little things that we can learn. And it's about then sh sharing that learning and rolling it out and uh, you know, joining the pancreatic cancer community to actually do more and help them um, provide sort of untransformed care. So then alongside that, whilst all of that's happening, that's about the care and support. So whilst people are being diagnosed and treated today, it's essential, it's a lifeline. We run the only UK specialist helpline and, um, and the nurses are on their work flat out from morning all through the day, taking the calls you spoke, obviously the other podcasters on that. Um, giving that support, providing that information. Some of those calls that we take, and we have people coming back repeatedly calling and, and following up on the treatment, we can help people access better treatment. We can help people um, ensure that they're getting the enzymes and getting the best dietary um, supplements for them. And that improves quality of life. It also provides psychological support, reassurance, and those are essential through this ex going through an experience of pancreatic cancer. So I would um, I would say, you know, all of those things all come together, and then alongside it, the other bit that's really got to to be able to make all of this change is about increasing the awareness, bringing more people into the cause of pancreatic cancer. Even if people aren't affected by pancreatic cancer, we need them to join us to say it's it's unacceptable that we've got such a uh, terrible outcomes in the in the cancer and that the funding isn't there and with that awareness brings people to us and that brings funding for us to fund into the research fund more support and transform care so you've been in place for a year now what would you say over the last 12 months has been your proudest moment at the charity ha. um proudest moment i would have to say actually the current campaign the demand faster treatment we wanted to bring together a, an integrated campaign that will really make a difference um, and it's we worked hard in gathering all of the evidence we worked hard as a charity we've not done something at quite that level before we've put out the petition we were hoping that we would get to 10,000 um, within six months we're already after three weeks at 26,000 like it's phenomenal the support that we're getting coming through and it it just shows there is the appetite to support pancreatic cancer so it's the first test run that we've done and it's been a huge success so i'd say for me having worked with the team and all of us working together i'd say that's the my proudest moment really in seeing that come together and you know we've been telling the story of erica who wasn't able to get to the get her treatment um in the as fast as she should have been able to and um and the, her sort of her fight to have any kind of treatment even though she was stage four she should have had more than she was initially given so it's about being able to bring that to the public and seeing it come to like take on their life of its own it's been great
imagine it's 12 months from now and we're having this chat what would you like to say is your proudest moment oh my goodness um let me think I think for a year on from now I would like to see have had a significant shift in general awareness and be able to as a result have funding to commit to a significant new piece of uh, research program work Um, that would be you know our ambition is to be able to see that we increase the research funding in this country to 25 million um, with 10 million of that coming from this charity over the next five years so to be able to achieve that we need some really big wins next year and then we can you know with that funding get go back out to the research community who are coming up with some amazing proposals but currently there isn't the funding so that would be my big thing next year you'll be pleased to know we are finishing this month on a positive to me it's very important we finish on a positive because i know there have been some difficult stories to listen to some stories that no doubt have made you really angry or they've made me angry anyway and there has been some sadness but we have to finish on a positive because there are positives out there and if anyone can sum up positivity i think it is this man sean walsh we had one of the most uplifting chats ever i hope you enjoy it as much as i did my name's sean walsh i'm 43 years old i'm from Heighton in liverpool and i was diagnosed with ampullary cancer on the 12th of june i had a whipple operation on the 26th of june to remove me most of my bile duct my gallbladder, um, the head of my pancreas and my small intestines, which resulted in me having a cancer resection that's called where you replumb your back together um, and put two drains in either side to drain the pancreas juices away. And eventually I decided to start swimming. I started swimming to get fit <clears throat> because I couldn't work properly really. Um, so I started off doing two, three, four, five lengths over a couple of weeks and then eventually built it up and built it up. And raising awareness on Sunday, I managed to do a two-kilometre swim um, for Pancreatic Cancer UK to raise vital awareness and vital funds to try and sort the solution to, you know, 40 years ago. You know, we're still in the same position um, and things need to change. So take me back to June the 12th. I can't begin to imagine what, what must have that day must have been like for you, Sean. But in the lead up, did you did you have any idea you were as poorly as you were? Um, well, Charlotte, it all started, I think, like um, a few days before Liverpool played in the Champions League. I was in Warrington doing an overclad, which means putting a metal roof on top of a metal roof, and it was really warm. So in the morning, I must have drank ooh, two, maybe three litres of water because I was, I was keeping me hydrated and had my lunch and went to the toilet. And when I was in the toilet, I noticed that my urine was still dark and I couldn't work out because I drank loads of water. So I comes home, I have a shower and I'm putting my cream on, as you do for being a reefer. You have to have the nice cream and that. Um, I noticed a slight yellow tinge in my eye. So I never thought really not of it. I was normally tired anyway after work, you know, never thought not of it. It wasn't until the, the following Sunday, um, the Sunday, five days later, 
Um, we went for a breakfast the day of the Champions League. Sorry about the Champions League, but that's how, how I can identify the timeline. Um, we went for breakfast and I couldn't eat the breakfast. All I wanted was toast. So the next day I went to the doctors and he wanted to send me for a camera, which was going to be two or three weeks time, an endoscopy camera, to um, see what was happening. Um, the next day I couldn't, you know, I was getting worse. I could feel myself getting worse. So I went to the walk-in centre and he took some bloods off me. So it was, I think it was the next day the doctor phoned me, wanted me to go to the hospital straight away because my bilirubin level was really, really high. Because um, obviously my bile duct was now, now blocked and the bile was sitting under my skin, which resulted in the worst, actual worst itchy feeling I've ever had in my life. And that lasted well, for the following two weeks. So <clears throat> with, with me being scared of needles, I've always had a phobia of needles and people putting things into me. Um, I went to Western Hospital and the first thing that one of the doctors said to me, he instigated it, um, was I like a heroin addict. When I've got my daughter, who's six years old, sitting next to me, and me, me, me partner, Rachel. So I just walked out. I thought, you know, I can't be doing with this, you know. So it wasn't until if, I think it was three days after that that I thought, listen, Sean, there's something wrong. I was off work, and I sent a picture to my boss to say, listen, I'm not well. And I've looked at the picture on my phone and thought, Sean, you need to go to the hospital now. So I was going yellow at the itch was getting worse. I was getting yellower and yellower. And I finally plucked up the courage to go back into Western. And he put a cannula state in my arm as soon as I went back in and went, ha you've got you now. So that was on the, I think that was the Friday. Um, the following Monday, I had the ultrasound followed by an MRI and CT scans. And I asked the consultant on the Wednesday, I said, listen, Mr. Appleton, I said, what is wrong with me? I said, because I just walked downstairs and I've come back and I'm really whacked. He went, Sean, if you want the honest truth, he said, it could be a tumour. And I thought, thank you very much, Mr. Appleton, you've been straight with me now. I know what to deal with. Don't get me wrong, Charlie, it was half an hour. It took me to try and compose myself. And then I went back upstairs and went, right, come on, can we go now? No, Mr. Walsh, we want to do a scan tomorrow on your chest to make sure it hasn't spread. Charlotte, it was the worst time of my life. I, I, I can't begin to imagine, you know, from <clears throat> being, you know, an active young man to, to hearing the words tumour, has it spread, cancer, cancer. Yeah. It's, it, and you've got a young family as well. That's right, that's right. Well, on that night time, um, they put me in, in, a, in a room and they let Rachel stay next to me because obviously I couldn't, I couldn't stay on my own at night, knowing that, you know, I just spread, I've got a, a CT scan tomorrow. So I didn't get much sleep that night. So I had my scan the next day. But knowing from my last scan, when obviously they found something, I was in and out of the pole, I'm going to call it. I was in and out, I was, in, I was dead quick, so I was quite relieved. I still didn't know whether it spread, but I thought it's better than being in as long as I was before when they found something. So maybe I've got away. So that was the Friday. So from the Friday to the following Thursday, Thursday I seen um, Mr. Phil Whelan, uh, number one pancreatic nurse, I believe, in Europe in the Royal Liverpool Hospital. And he could see I was in distress. I was sitting there with Rachel waiting to see whoever. And Phil Whelan came over, put his hand on my shoulder and went, don't worry, Sean, it hasn't spread. We're going to sort it out. And the relief just, I thought, right, come on, let's do this. So um, the next guy seen was a guy called, sorry, Declan Dunn. Take your time. Um, Take your guy. time. Don't worry. Declan Dunn, he's my surgeon and he's the guy who saved my life. I know there's other staff to mention and these statistics and whatever, but this guy, every time I see him now, I just want to hug him and cry. And 
I've done a bit of Google and about Declan Dunn. Um, trying to work out, you know, because I'm putting my life in his hands. And this guy, he's only 38 now, but four years ago when he first qualified as like a junior surgeon, he was travelling home from the Royal Liverpool Hospital um, over to Walton, and he was involved in a, in a, a motorbike a bicycle accident, which resulted in him being in a, in a, um, a body brace for six months. Um, he smashed his pelvis, he'd done all, all kinds of other injuries, he's got scars on his face. And the guy, this guy was back and work in six months. So he's trying to work out whether I'm strong enough to have the operation. I'm looking at him to think, can I put my life in his hands? So we're working each other out. And the next minute he says, like, sure, you're going on these tablets called Prion, which, as you know, replaces your enzymes in your pancreas. He said, Sean, you haven't been getting your nutrients and your goodness out of your food for maybe 15, 20, 25 years, which was quite a shock. But I thought, right, straight away, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I left, I left Charlotte and I thought, right, come on, we'll do this. So that was the first day. The following Tuesday, I was in for my Whipple operation. And it lasted, Declan said it lasted six hours. Um, and I believe I come around an ICU when I was singing Brown Eyed Girl with the nurses. I can't really remember um, the following that night in ICU. I just I couldn't go to sleep because I thought I'm alive. You know, let's go. I can do this. You know, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna kill me, and hopefully it won't. And hopefully it's all gone. And, and as you know, I'm, I'm nearly enough more than halfway through chemotherapy now, and things are looking. Well, it's just, it's just one of those things that you just never expect to happen to you, do you? It's just out of nowhere, and I think you've been handling it fantastically because you've not let it win at all have you you've just like you said you said all right come on let's sort this out and how's it yeah. how's it been for your family to go through this as well and you know i know that's a, it's a hard question to answer um yeah it's been really hard charlie especially um since i've had my whipple operation and found out i have pancreatic cancer my nephew's niece she's developed skin cancer which we hope is is going now she's on a new trial um, my best friend's father's had lymphoma cancer, and my partner Rachel, as dad, has had the operation to remove um, a tumor in his bladder. But thank God, he, everyone's okay, sort of thing. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what's next? This cancer is—it's—it's it's everywhere now. But going back to Rachel and my family in um, Charlotte, I don't know what I would have done without them. You know, I've done this—I've done this swim from pancreatic UK to raise awareness. I've done it for myself, obviously, but I've done it for my friends and my family and my surgeons, my NHS staff, Mr. Appleton, my consultant, and all the nurses at Western. Where they're still going, going tomorrow. Actually, we have a support group where I'm like trying to g everybody up, sort of thing. So it's been really hard for the family, but you know we're all stuck together. We're quite a really, quite a really close family. Um, my brother was chauffeuring me around and my sisters were taking me to chemo at the start to look get me head down because chemotherapy is a bit daunting at first but once you get to know everybody in there the same faces, all the nurses are fantastic and Linda McCartney Centre um, I was showing them all my video before and they were all crying because we've got like a quite a close relationship and um, centres like that where chemotherapy is involved it, you know, it's a different class of care duty of care you know yeah and i guess it's almost like a, a different it's like a, it's like a family unit as well because you're it's all together that's right yeah that, that's right i walked in charlotte don't get me wrong the first time and i'm thinking i'm the youngest and here why, why me i was asking why me at the start and i'm thinking well it is me and 
maybe whoever is up there picks on the best and the strongest to try and show everybody, listen, we can do this. You know, have I been put in this world to reduce this cancer, to try and raise awareness and help other people? As I got him, got interviewed by a local radio station last week, and he, he got off he got off the phone to me, sort of thing, like a phone where they put the like a microphone over the top, and he said, "Sean, your inspiration sitting here and all." He said, "What you see here, I went, it's how you turn negatives into positives while you're going through the cancer, you know, from from start to finish. Once you can turn your negatives into positives and make them work for you." Then you're halfway there, Charlie. You know, I don't know if, if that, you know, if that stands with you, you know, but that's that, what I thought. Absolutely, it, it it really resonates with me because you can either you're not going to change the fact that you've got this cancer, but your attitude is you're completely in control of that, aren't you? Yeah, well, you can't let that be in control of you. I know there's people out there, Charlie. You know, and it's too late for them. Um, like a good family friend of ours, John McDonough. He died in 2011 of pancreatic cancer. It was too late for John, but John McDonough, we used to go away. Um, I used to go to Spain with my early age, from eight and nine, because my dad worked really hard. He, my dad taught me my job, sort of thing, industrial cladder. And this guy, John McDonough, he's a marketing director. Um, back in the day, he, he was the one that got hail and pace on the TV, um, promoting horse menthalitis. And this guy gave me, brought me a dictionary once for Christmas. I was about 10 and 14 bit of a boring present. He said, listen, if you learn one word every day for the next four years, you will grow up to be a very clever man. And he only done it for six months, and I ended up on the building. But I did work in the solicitors before the building, but I've always wanted to do what my dad did, you know. My dad's my best friend, I've always looked up to him. Yeah. I remember the first day, I remember the first day, going, come on, show on the roof, and like, there's a five-inch steel beam wheel, got to walk across like a hundred foot in the air. Obviously, we had no nets in 1996 when I started. And it's like, come on, you know, so imagine taking your son to work knowing one false move and you can fall and you're dead. So I think the job I've done over the years as well, Charlotte, I think that's put me in really good stead. Not for just being strong to take the whip operation and the way of come back, but it's the fact that I lost two of my best friends um, within the space of a year in um, 1998. Um, our firm was the ones that got nets put in or through the country sort of thing. So I think that has put me in good stead, Charlotte, you know. And you've done your swim as as well. Tell me, I mean, you mentioned very much at the beginning about how it was a way of getting fitness back for you because you were you couldn't use your legs very well. But tell me about doing this swim because you're going, you're still having your chemotherapy treatment, which if anyone who's got any experience, that takes it out of you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, it does. I've been tonight. I normally have me um, the IV drip. Um, I have it three times a month, then I have a week half. And also I've got to take tablets because they found one dodgy lymph node. Um, tonight, normally I have steroids before they give me the IV, but it keeps me up all night, and that's when I have it in the morning. So today I had at four o'clock, so I haven't had those steroids tonight, so I am a bit tired. But the chemotherapy does get worse as you go on, Charlie. The last one I had last week on Tuesday, I haven't really felt any any um, <clears throat> disagreements with it because I've been too busy on Twitter and Facebook because it's been in the papers and on the radio. And so I think the adrenaline's kept me going, you know, um, through the last week. But it is getting a little bit worse. But I've always looked at chemotherapy as like it's doing its job. It's helping you, Sean. 
you've had the biggest operation man could have sort of thing of being told and I still can't get the whipple operation into my head and it won't come into my head because I won't let it come into my head I don't want I don't want to think about negatives no more I don't want no one around me that's negative all I want to do now is carry on raising awareness now I've got an audience on on, on um, social media that I'm going to use this audience to get awareness um, like um Pancreatic UK sent me some posters out. I took a picture of a poster in a chemist, put it on Twitter, and 25,000 people have seen that one tweet. So wow. hopefully that's that's what I'm trying to do next. I'm waiting for posters, so I'm going to distribute them around my local area. And then hopefully by the end of next year, at the end of next year, we hopefully will have them in every GP and every pharmacy in the country. And also I want to try and go into the construction side of things because... Um, Construction workers, we don't have the best lifestyle, you know. I think about 70% of construction workers like a pint and they're eating out of burger vans and, you know, they're staying, they're staying away from home to make a shilling for the wives and the children and they're not eating well and they're not looking after themselves. So raising awareness just by going and having like 15, 20-minute chat with the lads, say, listen, my name is Sean Walsh, I'm an ex-industrial cladder, this, this is what's happened to me. Look at these symptoms and these signs link them, some of them together and just go and get a blood test. Dead easy. So Sunday just gone, saw you do your swim. It was a two-kilometre swim, wasn't it? Yes, two-kilometre. Um, How yeah, many lengths is that? It's 80 lengths, Charlotte. 80 lengths. And I started off swimming five at a push and that would have been about the 9th of September when Darcy went back to school. So to fill me day, that was what I was going to do start swimming and it was the only way I could get back to fitness because I couldn't walk I still can't run um, I can't go in the gym yet because my surgeon won't let me because <laughs> I'm susceptible to hernias and I'm going to be susceptible to hernias for a couple of years you think so it's going to start me going back to the job that I love and have done for 23 years and like the likes of today it's been really wet and it's been really cold and uh, yeah okay I'll be home at one o'clock but I miss the banter with the boys you know it's it's not just the job it's we all look after each other, you yeah, know, because it, it's such a dangerous job sort of thing. Um, it's another family, isn't it? Year. I know I keep mentioning family, yeah. but we all have different sort of sets of family, don't we? That's right, that's right. Well, this time last year, Charlotte was 310 foot up in a little steel box, me and on the end of a crane on a docks in Liverpool, 310 foot up. And I'm thinking, wow, that nothing scares me height-wise because I'm thinking, if you fall 10 foot, you're going to hurt yourself. If you fall under foot, you're going to hurt yourself. So, you know. <laughs> that just sums up your whole attitude, I think. It's just, yeah. well, that's going to happen, it's going to happen. Yeah, that's why my name's Spider Walshy. I get the nickname Spider because I used to be able to climb upstairs to get on the roof. And oh. my dad's just nicknamed me Spider because my granddad was Spider. My granddad was a steel erector. He's worked on uh, the Rockefeller Centre in New York, building the steel back in the early 30s. You know, you see the, the guys having the lunch on the steel. Yeah. That picture, well, that, that's my granddad. Well, he wasn't actually on that picture, but that sort of thing that they done in them days, you know. That turns <laughs> well, my yeah, stomach. Turns <laughs> <laughs> my stomach. It makes me feel queasy. Uh, you mentioned Liverpool. Are you a red or a blue? Oh, uh, I've got blue, haven't I? That's too much because Speedo Mick, who spam next to me. I was going to say, yesterday. this is what I was interested about because I know Sp- I don't know Speedo Mick, but I know of Speedo Mick, and he's very much a blue. Yeah, Speedo Mick's a blue. He's done loads. He's in. He's in. He's raised hundreds of thousands of pounds for charity. This guy has swam the English Channel. He's walked the length of the country, and after about sixty lengths in the pool on Friday, on Sunday, sorry, 
He was like, Sean, I can't keep up with you and I'm flagging here. And I was like, listen, mate, I've just had a massive operation. I'm doing chemotherapy. You swim the channel. Now, come on, let's do this. <laughs> the symptoms, yeah, the symptoms, and there's more symptoms because what's happened is there's a forum on Facebook called UK Whipple Warriors and I've joined, obviously, to try and get some more information because it's okay speaking to your friends and your family and the professionals, but I think unless you've been there, you can't really, you know, you, you don't really know. So um, going back to Whipple Warriors, um, I've been in touch with a few people who have got in touch with me as well. Um, so I've been going to see them after my chemotherapy, just going up in the lift up to Peru in the Royal and sitting in with like 10 or 15 minutes, you know, just geeing them up and explaining to them what's happened. And especially the fifth day after the Whipple operation, you sort of go down because you get, end up with full of wind. And on Friday, I had a nominous donation of £104. And I'm thinking, oh, who sent this? So then I get to text through Facebook of a, of a guy called Steve Kelly. Um, Steve Kelly, he's having his Whipple operation today. He'll just be coming round now, actually. Yeah. And he asked, asked me all questions on the text. And I went, listen, this, here's my phone number. So the guy phoned me straight back. And we went on the phone for half an hour. I was expe- explaining to him, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. But you know what? You're going to be okay. Because I could tell by the sound of his voice. Um, I'll just say, listen, little and after on your food when you come out, as soon as you get out that operation, get out that bed you can, because that's what my surgeon said. It's all about rehabilitation, rehabilitation. It's hard, Charlie. It's hard to get out of bed. But once you get out of bed, and even if you walk 10 foot to the window and back, you get back in bed and you really saw 10 minutes later, you feel accomplished, the pain goes, because I think most of it is mentally. Mm. So Stephen's having his whipple operation today. Um, there's another girl, Rebecca Ashton, who's on a BBC programme coming out in the middle of January called Hospital. And um, they're dedicating an hour to pancreatic um, cancers, I believe. Because I went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago where my surgeon was the guest speaker and the BBC were there. And fair play to Chris from the BBC. Um, he's donated as well. So going back to Steve Kelly... Um, he, was, he was very, very worried, so I put his mind at ease. And there's another girl, Rebecca Ashton, and both of them turned up at the swim on Sunday. Rebecca's four weeks post-op, and as you say, Steve's going in today. But what we've all said is we've all experienced a pain when we bent over where the bottom of your ribs are, where they meet in the middle, where your pancreas is behind. We've all had a sharp pain. So if anyone's listening out there and you've had a sharp pain, you go, ooh, and it's took your breath away, just go and get yourself checked out. It's a funny little pain. I had a little funny pain on the underneath of my rib cage on the left-hand side, but I put it down to you. It was like a dull pain, but it'll come and go. Mm. And Rachel, my family, if it was something serious, it would be constant. But you know what? Cancer pains, I don't think they are constant. I think it's your body trying to warn you that something happened. But you, with people's lifestyles now, people are too busy to get themselves checked out because it's, to me, life's been become a rat race. Yeah, and then you think, oh, there's no point because the doctors are always busy. I can't, I haven't got half an hour to stay on the phone in the morning to make an appointment. They'll be three weeks away. What's I'll, I'll worry about it another day. And I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else of doing that as well. Yeah, I think I think the pro- well, it's not a problem. We, we need to sign sort this pancreatic cancer out, but I think we need to start with the GPs as well. You know, putting people out, having confidence and saying seeing the same same GP if they're going like two, three, four times a year, so they get like a camaraderie with the GP. Because if you're seeing different people, you don't you, you know you, that trust is gone. There's no trust there. 
Um, my doctor, Dr. Stevenson, I come out of hospital and there's a shortage of drains. With me being only like a slim guy, um, they could only get me the large drains, which mm. the drains are really sticky and you have to empty them of the juices and then you have to take them off and clean them. But mine was um, fouling my scar. So when I peeled it off, it ripped my scar a bit, which produced pus, which gave me to a distinct nurse that had to come out. She only come out a couple of days to sort me out. But my doctor sourced the smaller ones within 24 hours. I had them. He couldn't do enough for me, my doctor, because he was the one that was pushing me to go. And I'm saying, doctor, I'm all right. You've been showing your billing levels like 215 years ago. I'm like, no, no, no. And since then, he's become a really, really, really good friend of mine. All that's left for me to say is thank you. Thank you so, so much for listening to the podcast, for sharing the podcast and for taking part in the podcast. Everybody who gave up their time to talk to me, um, I can't thank you all enough. It has been a massive learning experience for me. I've learned so much about pancreatic cancer and I'm really pleased I've learned it. It has made me angry at times. But actually, there's positivity out there, uh, as we've just heard from Sean himself. Stay tuned. I mentioned at the beginning that it's the end of this series. I'm confident you'll be hearing a lot more from the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts in the future. So you know what I'm going to say. Stay subscribed. If you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe, because you don't want to miss what is going to be coming in the not-too-distant future. In the meantime, you can get in touch via our website, purplerainbow.co.uk. And remember, stay tuned. Mm-hmm.